Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In this first episode of season two of the Wellness Edit podcast, I'm absolutely thrilled to be chatting to Ella Mills. Ella is the woman behind the Deliciously Ella brand, and she is a true pioneer who's brought uh, plant-based nutrition to the lives of millions of people since she started her journey back in 2012, way before it became as popular as it is today. Ella has six number one best-selling cookbooks. She has a food and wellness app. She has seven different product lines across 7,000 stores in the UK. She has her own central London cafe. And of course, she also has a wildly popular podcast, the Deliciously Ella podcast. I'm really excited to share a little bit more about her own wellness journey with you guys today. So in my conversation with Ella Mills on today's podcast, I was really struck by some of the aspects of her personal story, which she shared so kindly with us and her passion, her huge passion for plant-based nutrition, where it came from. And she also got a little bit feisty, which I love seeing. Um, I love how her passion drives her business. And she shared so many practical tips as well that I really hope that you guys will find interesting. as you listen to the podcast. I really enjoyed this one and I hope that you do too. So Ella, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, absolute pleasure. So nice to see you. It's really good to see you as well. And how have you been keeping during the pandemic? Big question. (laughs) Big question. I mean, we could spend the whole interview on this. Um, Do you know what? I think with for me at least, I think it depends so much. On one day, I'd be like, it's great. We've had all this family time, extra downtime, you know, enjoyed the slower pace. And then on other days, so depending on what's happening with work or parenting two babies under two during a pandemic, I would um, have a very, very different answer. So yeah, upsides and, and downsides, I think probably like most people. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I think for me, it's been a really busy year professionally, but also, as you say, bringing up children, having to look after the children um, and deal with all the uncertainties as well. It's it's a challenge and a juggle for so many of us. Um, and for you, with your work, I know that you mentioned how young the girls are. Um, how do you cope generally with all the things that you have to do professionally and personally? Do you have a particular strategy or is it just kind of taking each day as it comes? So it used to be taking each day as it comes and, you know, that worked in in some ways. And then I think combination of having two little ones, my daughters are just 14 months apart, so really close in age um, and being really busy at work. And obviously also the pandemic, meaning as a parent, you know, getting that little bit of downtime or personal space away from work, especially when you run your own business and away from kind of the the demands of parenthood for us always meant like going out for dinner, leaving the house. We had to actively take ourselves away, basically. Yeah. And obviously all those options were closed um, and at, for, for everyone. And so it felt like we needed to, I guess, do a bit more internal work. And so at the beginning of this year, we both decided that we were going to kind of reclaim what time that we could in the day, because I think we got to a point where we would wake up as we heard the girls wake up, whatever time that was, we would be with them. And then when work started, childcare starts, 
and then you're working all day and then the second work finishes except it never finishes and then you're looking after the girls and you're feeding them and you're getting them down to bed and then they're down to bed and then you go back to work for another three hours and then you go to sleep and you do it all over again it sounds and, exhausting <laughs> and then obviously on the weekends it's kind of the same because there's nowhere to go and, and no one else to to support so as much as it's I mean I'm obsessed with our girls they're, they're heaven they've been the best thing that's ever happened to me and I love our work but it just means it's a bit of a kind of there are moments it could feel a little bit like a grind so what we decided we would do is just go to bed that little bit earlier and in doing going to bed that bit earlier we get up that bit earlier so we're getting up now at like 5 30 and on a good day that means we have say up to an hour and a half before they're up and that gives us 90 minutes to ourselves and we've used that time we meditate every day I'm on day 75 today um oh. of every single day which is I'm really proud of actually <laughs> and then we move and we have coffee together and we just have a little bit of quiet non-work non-parenting either solitude or together and it's just I've never done anything actually that's had such a kind of huge impact and ripple effect across everything I I do but it's just created this sense of headspace and calm and focus which has had amazing impacts both on parenting and on work. Mm, I think that sounds really interesting and so many people have got their strategies for how they could try and incorporate wellness what it means to them and what you've just described is potentially really life-changing because although it sounds simple just getting up early and going to bed early it's a habit that hardly any people actually have and you know, we, we really want to try and reclaim some time to rest. And most of us do that by sitting in front of the TV, trying to unwind a little bit after that really hectic, crazy day. And then the whole kind of carousel starts again. So your strategy right now is to think, okay, I'm going to give myself that hour, hour and a half for calm, for stillness, for meditation. And it has a knock-on effect throughout the day. Absolutely. Honestly, it's profound. I think I'm completely shocked by the level of impact that it's had across, as I said, every part of my life. And I think, you know, wellness is, as you said just then, it's a, it's, I think the word in itself can be polarizing and challenging. And I think there is this concept that it's not available for me. Okay. I hear what you're saying and it sounds great, but I'm really busy, you know, and I have all these different responsibilities, you know, whether that's your children or looking after parents or different degrees or, you know, commitments to your work, whatever it is that people have going on in their lives, you know, very few people just have a few extra empty hours in the day. Um, and so I think, trying to find a way to reclaim those little pockets of time mm. is really important. But I totally relate to feeling like I don't have capacity for this. Stop telling me to do something I can't do. And I've certainly felt that resistance in myself. And I think, you know, I, I always think it's so worth acknowledging at that point that, and it sounds so boring and I don't want to come across as like the world's biggest killjoy, <laughs> but I do think there's an element of discipline in it. And I've, the more I learn, the more I feel like happiness and that sense of well-being is just not something, at least for me, that necessarily always comes naturally, but something you have to genuinely put in the work every day to start to work towards. And I think doing this and being really active in that has really highlighted that to me. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing it. And it's 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 a really simple technique and it doesn't cost any money. Um, it's free. And I think you're right. Wellness as a concept can be polarizing. And you've been in this 
space for a long time now. I would love to hear more about your perspectives on some of the ways in which you think that people feel that they can't relate to it and how that has affected you and the way that you um, move forward with your uh, message. Is that something that, that you've thought about or, or had to incorporate in some way? Absolutely. So I've been doing this now for nine and a half years, so which is just nuts. Yeah, coming up to a, a decade. And I know you've been on this path for a long time as well. And I'm sure you would echo sentiments that it's extraordinary the speed at which things have changed. You know, I when I've just said to people, I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to have a plant based diet people looked at me like I was, you know, genuinely nuts. Like I, you know, and I didn't know anyone who ate this way. I didn't have a single family member or friend who had ever even considered vegetarianism. Flexitarian was not a thing. No. It was all quite niche, quite weird. You know, would you like a stuffed pepper um, or a plain green salad? Um, oh, don't forget that, mushroom risotto. Mushroom risotto. And that was about as much as it, as it came. And again, I think, you know, even a concept like meditation was still seen as kind of more extreme. And it's been absolutely fascinating, the speed of which the uptake has happened. And I think that's, you know, that's just been born of necessity, hasn't it? Which is that modern life requires you to balance things out, basically. And the levels, you know, obviously, you know, you'll see in your work, the levels of stress and burnout Mm -hmm. and lifestyle related diseases from just not having the capabilities and resources and time and energy to be able to take care of yourself almost in the most basic way is creating such a fundamental issue. And, you know, that's what put me on this path in the first place was my own ill health. And I think what I, what I've come to realize, and again, on a, you know, personal journey, my view of it has definitely shifted because when I started this, I was a student. And so I was that person with those extra hours in the day. And then, you know, I was single. So again, I had all this extra time. And then as my work became busier and busier and busier, and then started having my children, that's shifted it onto kind of a whole nother gear, which is that I really appreciate the concept of like not even feeling you have one minute in your day to to take up any of these practices. Mm. And so how do we cater, obviously, to everyone in that spectrum? Because, you know, not everyone has two under two and so that's a different need then you know perhaps if you do have a little more more time to explore the practices in slightly more depth a bit more time to cook a bit more time to move a bit more time to prioritize meditation sleep whatever it is you need for your mental health um but I do feel that the more busy you are the more you need it and so how do we meet those needs and that's what I'm just most passionate about at, at Delicious Yellow and everything that we do as a company which is trying to meet those needs because it's really, really hard and, you know, stress and it's just has such a fundamental impact on the body and how do we make these practices easier. And again, you know, with, with plant-based cooking and plant-based eating, as you know, you'll see the whole time, which is that, especially from an environmental perspective, there's this urgent need of seeing people all the time to shift in this direction, Mm. whether that's full-time or part-time, but a huge increase in moving towards a more plant-based diet but then a hundred million questions on how on earth to do it and what to be thinking about a lot of very confusing messages and mixed messages. And again, I think it's just trying to unpick some of that. And I do think the wellness space is very confusing. It can feel quite inaccessible and it can also just feel like there's 
a thousand and one opinions all competing against each other. And the thing that I feel most strongly about recently and has been kind of really creeping up on me is that I feel these conversations to some extent are a bit mad. And, you know, look, I'm, I have these conversations every day, so I'm guilty of it myself. But if we look at, apart from the kind of echo chamber of it, there's, there's such a fundamental issue with our health these days and the tens of billions of pounds of, that we're spending in the NHS on the rise of lifestyle-related diseases, the levels of mental health decline linked so much to our lifestyles and our levels of stress and lack of sleep and lack of ability to eat properly as a result and to move our bodies. And, you know, we... I feel that this is this is really fundamentally incredibly important work. And I think COVID has highlighted that so much. Mm. And so, again, I think it's important to some extent for us to move past these conversations of exactly what's the healthiest diet. Should we have five a day or seven a day or 10 a day? Should we be paleo or keto or vegan? Let's just eat real food. Yeah. And let's eat a lot of plants and let's try and sleep and let's try and move our bodies and let's try and get everybody moving that direction away from over 50% of our daily intake being ultra processed food. And so that's what I'm feeling really strongly about at the moment. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Ella, so much. You know, I could not have put that better myself. And you've encapsulated so much of the difficulties around not only the wellness space and how we approach these issues compassionately and with useful tips, but also the real world. And this is what I see in my clinic, people who cannot afford um, to buy their weekly shop, people who have complete lack of access to all the things that you would hope for, for for good mental health, green spaces, you know, the ability to um, be able to take your child to a school where they can learn freely. Like there are so many different obstacles to health that people have. And, you know, the message I think from Deliciously Ella, but also just from me as well, actually, is just to think, how do we make this easy? How do we make this affordable? How do we make this accessible for everyone? And it's really hard because there are so many things that determine health outside of what we can control. But if we can do our best to control those things that we can easily and cheaply control, then that's where we have to try and put our attention, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. Okay, so... Let's try and backtrack a little bit because I'm so fascinated by why you are so passionate about this. I am hugely passionate. And um, I think you've basically built an exceptionally accessible and incredible global brand. Where did it all come from and where did it start? For those of our listeners who have never heard of the Ella Mills phenomenon and Deliciously Ella, could you share a little bit more about your journey and where it all began? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, everything's an accident, really, to some extent, um, is the is the truth, which so I had literally no interest whatsoever in any of this um, in the past. And then back in 2011, I got very, very ill and cut a very long story short. I spent about four months in about a hospital. I was diagnosed with all sorts of conditions. I'd had literally every test under the sun, MRIs, colonoscopies, endoscopies, ultrasounds, you name it, I had it. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And then when I was diagnosed with these several conditions, the main one of which was called postural tachycardia syndrome, and it's a impairment of your autonomic nervous system. So it's, it's characterized by the inability to control your heart rate. So you sit down, your heart rate's normal, it's 
for me it was in the mid 60s and then stand up and within a matter of seconds it's about 180 190 and your blood pressure drops and that means you're so dizzy you, you either black out or you feel you're going to black out and you you really feel like you can't walk slash actually can't walk basically to the end of the street and back um with that came chronic fatigue uh chronic pain um chronic everything, chronic infections. I spent three and a half years on antibiotics, including having to go into hospital for antibiotic drips at times. Um, that was for severe bladder infections. Um, and yeah, I, I was on steroids. I was on beta blockers. And I, about a year later, having tried everything, I was at what, 10% better. I could still, I still couldn't function. And everything that I always had just, taken for granted as what my future was, you know, being able to have a job, being able to live away from home, being able to have the option to maybe get married and have children and raise a family that that was all totally impossible as it stood really at that point. Um, and I just, I just wasn't well enough to pursue those things. And I just hit a moment where I thought, look, I've totally honestly have taken zero personal responsibility here. And I've just, every question I've asked is, you know, what can you do for me? Not what could I also do for me? And so I began to research nutrition and lifestyle. I became very interested in, um, in that space and what I could do for myself. But as we said, the, the rate of change in the last decade has been extraordinary. It's been light speed. And at this point, this is now early 2012, so nine, nine and a half years ago or so, there was just nothing. You know, you had what was kind of coming out of the sort of West Coast of America, places like LA, which was the kind of funkier, more cutting edge take on, on veganism and plant-based and kind of a whole foods approach. But it was like a raw, dehydrated, sprouted almond cracker <laughs> where you, you know, you know how it goes, Gemma. You soak the almonds overnight and then you sprout them, then you dehydrate them. And for a student who was living up in Scotland who didn't even eat broccoli, the idea of like spending 34 hours to make a cracker was just like a little bit <laughs> out of the question. And then you had the more kind of traditional take on, on veganism and a plant-based approach which wasn't really about whole foods diet necessarily as such it was much more about kind of meat mimics and so sort of vegan sausages and things like that which whilst I totally think they have their place and I think from an environmental perspective and ethical perspective are really interesting from a health perspective they're not that interesting because you're not moving away from ultra processed food most of the time which is what I was trying to do and so I became very interested in, in learning to cook. And that's why I started writing deliciousyellow.com as a way of recording what I was doing. And somehow it just grew from there and never with the intention of turning it into a company and stocking up products in places like Holland and Barrett. The intention was always just to, to do it for myself and to see if it worked. And initially I said, I'll do it for a year and then I'll, I, if I'm better, that's great. And I never thought I'd stay with it. I thought I'd just go back to the way I used to eat, which was a kind of more typical kind of standard Western diet. And uh, the, you know, it, it did wonders for my health, but also I absolutely loved it. And I realized how differently I felt eating this way and eating, you know, really, really fresh food, very natural food. Um, and it, it totally changed my life in every way. And I think, now, having had children and, and learning a lot more as well about the environmental side of a plant-based diet, that's become a huge passion of mine as well. And I feel, you know, I, I don't think that this is for everyone in terms of a binary all or nothing approach. I think it's so important to do what, what works for you, you know, in a practical way and for your health, for your well-being. And 
But I do think that there's no question in which this is the future and the extent to which you pursue it. As I said, that's I think that's an individual choice, but a primarily plant-based diet, if not a full plant-based diet, it feels like we have no choice. Mm. And the sooner that we can move in this direction, the sooner that we can have a fundamental impact on the planet that we all love. And I think I just look at my kids and I'm like, how could I not do this? Mm. Gosh, it's so powerful. And you're right. It's... I found the same in a way, like understanding the power of nutrition to help give you the building blocks towards healing and then discovering how important it was to change what we eat in order to help preserve the planet that we now live on. It seems like if you can find a way of doing that, which ticks both of those boxes, it's it's an inevitability that we have to move that way, um, given the fact that we're in the middle of what you know, uh, what we now call the Anthropocene, which is the sixth mass extinction event on the planet. And animal agriculture is such a huge driver of that. It's, it's only, it's only logical that we have to start moving in that direction. And doing that in a way that's healthy is also you know really important, especially as it's something that you know, drives your passion and drives my passion as a doctor is to help people to not only gain personal health, but also health for the future for them and for their families. So yeah, you put it so beautifully. Um, and I think it's really important to keep that overarching mission in mind, especially as you say, sometimes, you know, we can get so caught up in, in the specifics of right, the specifics of wrong, the specifics of particular patterns where we can actually just keep that overarching message true to you know, maintaining health for everyone, then then I think we hopefully all can speak from the same hymn sheet. Look, I, I totally agree, Gemma. And I think that's that's what's just become clearer and clearer to me is that when you get into the specifics, that's great. And for anyone who has the time and space to pursue that, I think that's fantastic. I, but I also think it's so important for everyone else to feel that wellness can be 10 minutes of really simple, just breathing mm. or trying to get 30 minutes more sleep. Or can you just have some more broccoli or lentils with that meal and maybe swap out one of the more ultra processed foods for something more homemade. So, you know, really kind of simple little things versus thinking that it has to be this huge fundamental shift in absolutely everything that you do every day. So I'm really curious, actually, you've mentioned, you know, how it's important to just try and make these incremental steps and not for it to be too overwhelming, but I'm really curious about your journey in that sense. Did you find that you did it gradually or did you just decide, right, one day, that's it. I'm fed up with feeling ill. I'm just going to go for it and do it. How did you approach this? So I did everything that I just told you not to do. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'll give you a justification for both in a second. So I changed everything overnight. I reached a moment where it just said, as you said, I've had enough can't do this anymore. I can't be this ill forever. Um, something's got to change. And I think I knew that I was in such a place of kind of desperation at that point that this was the only way forward. You know, it was kind of, I knew I had to throw myself all in because I had, I just had literally nothing to lose at that point and absolutely everything to gain. Mm. Um, and also, you know, I was I was in a dark headspace as well, having been ill for so long. And I just also, I think, recognised the reality of I didn't have the kind of headspace to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that almost. Um, it was like not having to make a new decision every day. You just decided and that was it. Exactly, exactly. And I also realised I was so sick that, you know, one extra portion of broccoli probably wasn't going to 
do enough for me at that point. I probably needed something a little bit more yeah. radical. Having done it, it, it is so hard, you know, and I, I don't think I would always be totally upfront about that. I, I found the first three or four months of a new lifestyle really challenging. Partly, I think, because I was really struggling with what to cook because all the recipes and resources and products that are on the market now, that just makes it infinitely easier. You can go and buy delicious snacks like we make, but you know, <laughs> they, they all exist. So you can buy that now and you can buy that then. And there are, what, four million recipes you could use, which again, didn't have at that point. So I think that would have certainly made it a lot easier, I think, for me. Um, but that being said, I, um, yeah, it was, it was really difficult. And I think, you know, your taste buds change mm. and your, I think it's also, it's just, it's just your kind of instincts, isn't it? Now I walk into the kitchen and, you know, say I have 15 minutes to make some quick lunch. Now my instinct is think, oh, okay, I could make, you know, a quick little stir fry and I could pan fry some garlic and then add butter beans and some chopped broccoli and asparagus and courgette and then I could just add some pesto and some yogurt some sort of coconut yogurt to that stir it through add in some greens right at the end delicious easy one pan and that's my that would be my go-to for lunch today whereas it you know nine years ago I would never have thought to make that for lunch and so I think it's always you know it's like what do I buy when I go to the shop what do I look for in my cupboard what are my go-tos people say we have seven recipes that we make on repeat and I think that's probably about right. We make variations of them, but it's definitely, I do come back to the same things again and again. And so I think it's just little things like shifting all those habits. Mm. And that just takes time. And I guess it's just meeting yourself with the kind of self-compassion that changing that sort of thing is probably not going to be immediate. It's going to be a little bit harder and a little bit clunkier to start with as you test recipes and then once you start being able to do it yourself and and just being able to kind of do it off the bat I think it just becomes really easy and then it's just second nature yeah it's about making it second nature and and how you make it second nature I suppose is very individual and as you say you know in your case you were at a point of pain where you realized that continuing where you were was not an option for you and I can definitely relate to that and I see that in some of my patients as well you know they're in a situation where they're not feeling good and they just want to feel better. And so they just jump in and go for it. And it's hard to do that. Um, and so if you're not at that point of pain, then that seems crazy. That seems like so difficult and it is difficult. So let's make it easy. Let's just do things that very gradually shift over those habits, make it more easy, make it enjoyable, make it fun. I love what you said earlier because you said, oh, I thought maybe I'd eat this way for a while and then I'd go back. And then I actually realized, hang on a minute, I'm really enjoying this and this is making me feel so good. So I'm just going to carry on. And I, hopefully I think that's true for lots of people when they realize how delicious it can be, how life-changing it can feel, then they're not going to want to go back. But as you said, it has to be delicious. And I always come back to that because I think one of the kind of key pitfalls is to think that this approach, you know, is about dieting and it's, it's just not about dieting. It's about fueling your body in a way that is absolutely delicious and abundant and versatile and colorful, loads of different textures and flavors and ingredients. And it's, 
it's not about what you take out. And that's why I always say to people, like, if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be to think about what you're putting in or what you're taking out, because that's the fundamental difference to a diet. A diet says, okay, you can never do this again. You can never do this again. These are the rules. You must follow the rules. There aren't any rules. The only guide is to just try and eat more fresh food, more plants. And how you do that's up to you. It's okay if you don't like kale, you know? And again, I think we can get quite stuck in, in focusing on things like that. Like guacamole is a vegetable. Um, so it's, I think just, you know, can you make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more delicious? And again, instead of thinking, I won't eat this, that's a really restrictive mindset. Can we just flip it and think, okay, I'm going to eat more of this. So I'm going to eat the same meal, but I'm also going to do some roasted broccoli and cauliflower and make it so it's nice and crispy on the outside and toss through some harissa for example and some like toasted seeds for crunch making my mouth water (laughs) instead of thinking okay I have to get rid of this I have to get rid of that and I have to eat steamed broccoli and kale I mean that's (laughs) gonna last three minutes so that's my that's my advice it has to be delicious but it also has to be take put stuff in don't don't think about taking stuff out and you might find in time you naturally start to let go of some stuff because you really enjoy things you're putting in. They're making you feel really good. You don't have maybe such a craving for or need for some of the other things perhaps. But I think, yeah, just being patient and kind of reasonable with yourself in that way, I think can be a big help. Mm, I love that. So being kind to yourself along the journey and also recognizing it has to actually taste good. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it has to taste good. So what are your favorites then? If you, you know, if you had to sort of share the stuff that you really love to cook and that the, you and Matt and the girls love to eat, could you give me some tips and sort of pointers as to what you think is the most delicious? Yeah. So we probably at the moment, we're more focused than ever before on just quick, easy, you know, trying to limit washing up and, um, and the number of steps involved in any given recipe just for that, which actually I have to say totally honestly, I do miss having a little bit more time in the kitchen. Um, but obviously just at the moment, that's not, that's not that, uh, that achievable for me. But um, so we do things and we try and eat all our meals with the girls. I mean, May is only seven months so she, and she also so far literally has refused every food on earth sky was exactly the same and then got to 10 months and like started eating like an absolute champ so um so she she's not eating she's watching at the moment but sky is almost two and so we try and eat all our meals with her and as a result that i think that's really helped her um just kind of explore lots of food so her her favorite favorite thing we do is risotto um Mm. so the other night i did a big tray of crispy roasted broccoli and cauliflower and then did a mushroom uh, risotto, just sorting garlic, onion, celery, then doing some veggie stock, risotto rice, and then a mix of shiitake mushrooms and normal mushrooms, um, lots of spinach, some peas. And then I also soaked um, just a really small amount of wakame seaweed that I stirred through mm. as well. Um, gives a nice flavor, but also as you probably you know better than anyone is iodine it's not very easy to find in a plant-based diet so we're just trying to add that in mm. every now and again um which is good um but yeah it gives it a nice flavor so risotto is a kind of number one in our house she just absolutely loved it um 
we love veggie fried rice that's another one so i'll do sesame oil to fry the veggies in and garlic and red onion often at the beginning and then i'll add some rice vinegar um some things like miso uh lime juice and an almond butter dressing so delicious or a peanut butter satay sauce so good you're making my mouth water <laughs> making so, me hungry yeah. Lots of things like that and then just easy like curries with things like we did one at the weekend with tofu and cauliflower um do other ones with things like chickpeas and sweet potatoes again just great one pan um and then i'll i'll always make leftovers so that she can eat them mm. um throughout the meal throughout the week especially if we're not around um but lentil bolognese is also the other oh yeah that's a definite staple in our house and leftovers are crucial. <laughs> I, I would not survive without leftovers. <laughs> I know. I, do you know, I never, ever now make enough for one meal. We, unless it's something really simple like that kind of easy salad I said beginning yeah. with like black beans and sorted greens. If it's anything like a curry or lentil bolognese, like I think we normally make kind of four times the amount of bolognese that we need for that meal because it just freezes so well. And it is, especially with little kids when they're suddenly hungry, it's just such a life life saver to just be able to whip it out yeah no definitely I agree with that one um okay so we've talked a lot about the food and the mission and how it all started um I would also love to just touch a little bit about what it's like to just to be the face of a brand because I would imagine that that's quite tough um and there's it, it might be sometimes quite hard to balance that out with you know having your own private life and you know how much do you sort of share how much do you keep for yourself how have you found um being the face of a brand and also having a social media presence has that been something that's been challenging in any way definitely at times I mean I think it's it's probably something that I'm still navigating will always be navigating but have feel I've recently found a better balance with than I've had before and I think you know I know we were talking about the beginning about kind of little things for your well-being one of the best things I've ever done was just literally so simple it took 20 seconds was change the settings on my phone so that I'm limited to two hours screen time a day and that my phone goes into do not disturb from 8 p.m and it's so silly and it's you know in the sense that it's so little but it's it's completely reduced my screen time it just made me really more conscious about the way I use it and I think that's had a really positive impact from day one I've been really aware of the fact that Delicious Ciela is a company and it's a brand and it's now it's a collective of people and Ella Mills is the founder and the person and reflecting that in our social media and you know I'm actually kind of ironically quite an introvert and I am really aware of of that and what I share and so what I share is I think anything that I feel is relevant in terms of well-being and that might be a book or that might be some yoga or something to do with mindfulness or meditation. Um, it might be a bath product I really like because baths are really calming, but it wouldn't be my friends and it's not going to be that side of my life because that's nothing to do with Delicious Yellow as a company or kind of overall well-being. And that's that's really important to me to have have those guardrails. Um, mm. You know, and I'm conscious with that with, with my children as well, which is that, you know, I would never take a picture of Sky having a tantrum, mm. for example. And like, don't get me wrong, goodness me, like she's a fiery girl. She can get really upset. <laughs> but I would never put that on social media because that's, that's her expression of emotion and that's her life. And for me, that's, 
first of all, I, as a, as a mum, I wouldn't stop and take a picture at that moment anyway, but I wouldn't talk about it either because I just don't feel that talking about what she's upset about is for me, right on social media. And so I think it's just about striking that balance. And I know sometimes people then feel that those parts of your life don't exist. And I definitely struggled with that in the past with people thinking that perhaps there's a kind of insincerity to it. But I think it's just about being, and I think as users of social media, that's really important for us all to just be aware of the fact that whilst you may be following, whether it is a a brand or a person, um, that person is part of a kind of matrix of people, aren't they? So, you know, you are there as Gemma and you're sharing your experience as a doctor, but you can't obviously, you know, share all your patient's experiences or your husband's experience or your children's experience. And, and I, I think that's the thing that sometimes we're not, you know, aware of is that people will always have complicated things perhaps going on in their family, um, you know, illness, relationship issues, turbulent times, arguments, you know, whatever it is, frictions. But it, that's not necessarily slash almost ever our place to share. It's one part of the party. And so I just that's something that I'm always really conscious of kind of expressing is that social media I don't think that it's not it's not true. It just it, it will never tell you the whole story because the whole story isn't ours to tell. And I think that's something that's so easy to forget as you scroll through it. So I see your life and I think you've got this thriving career and, and you're doing so well as the spokesperson for what you do. But I'm sure that there are, you know, like anybody you had an argument with your son, who knows what it was, you know, no one's perfect, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about that on social media. And I think sometimes you can come on having had the argument and suddenly think you're the only person in the world with the ups and downs. Yeah. That's very powerful. And it's very true. You're right. I don't share my family ups and downs, and I certainly don't share the details of my patients. um, Because as you rightly point out, it's a matrix. It's a social matrix, much of which is not really our position to share or talk about. And I love the way that you phrase that as well. The idea of it actually not necessarily even being our information to share as well. And um, I think many of us are navigating this for the first time. uh, And we're all trying to come up with ways to to cope with how we share on social media to make it something that's not only interesting and relevant for other people, but also respectful, um, as well as being authentic. And it's very difficult to do that and to strike that balance. But I think being mindful of that and talking about it as an issue is, is helpful. And it's also helpful to see that there is a mission behind what people do and what people share and whether that's a global brand or whether it's just one person's life. Um, People use it for all different reasons. And if we're all thinking ourselves, what do I use this for and how am I serving with this? Then that, that can be, I suppose, a great starting point. Definitely. I mean, I certainly find there are times where I'm like, gosh, I'm really vanilla here because, you know, you just... I think social media, I certainly found as well when I started out on Instagram, it was a much more fun for into a better word space. It felt a bit more open. And now I think just with the size that it's reached and the, the kind of impact that it can have, I just find sometimes there's nothing you can share that won't upset people. And I sometimes find myself checking in with that thinking, you know, like the morning routine that we were talking about at the beginning, that's totally changed our lives. And look, we're really lucky our girls sleep well. And so we can get up at 5.30 and we are 
touch wood, almost guaranteed to have at least 30 minutes of time to ourselves. But, you know, that I've had messages from people saying, you know, that makes me feel like I'm failing as a mum. My child will never sleep through the night. You know, this isn't fair, etc. And so it's, you know, it's just that challenge of, but then other people say, look, it's really helped me. It's inspired me. Maybe they're not having to get up at 5.30, but to get up half an hour earlier and to do that before I start my day. And so it's just trying to navigate that of how do you share and try and be useful without causing offense, but also getting to the point that, you know, you cannot make everybody happy. No. And so, you know, there's 2 billion people using Facebook. If 2 billion people looked at whatever you were going to share, 2 billion people would not agree with you. No. <laughs> so how do you do it in a way that's kind of helpful and maybe causes interesting debate or useful debate versus, yeah, just, just perhaps harmful. But I don't think there's a perfect way of doing it. No, there, there, can, there can't be. There can't be a perfect way because you know not everybody's going to like what what we have to share. So yeah, it's a difficult one. I guess again, it's just about being mindful. But I like the way you said. Maybe I'm too vanilla. <laughs> I think it's a, it, it's a thing because I think sometimes you you feel reluctant to share something that that is helping you because you don't want people to feel offended or upset by it. But ultimately, I think it's about coming down to your ultimate intention, which is to serve. And if you can keep that in mind with whatever you're sharing, then that definitely helps. Um, yeah, but you know, look, we had that, didn't we? You know, we did a podcast episode together on our podcast, mm. and Sky, who's my first daughter, was born early, so she was born literally like two days after it came out. So I was suddenly getting all these messages with like a 48 hour old baby leaking milk everywhere, I'm being a bit overwhelmed by the whole situation. But you know, and you spoke, and look, I've been reading a lot of the research recently for the nutritional therapy degree I'm taking, and you know. I've read it and the papers are there and the data's there, but you know, when what you were talking about, about the health impact, the positive health impacts of um, a vegan diet in terms of, you know, total cancer risk and so on. And people, people didn't want to hear it. And there were a few people who really were livid that we'd shared that information. And that's, I guess, for me, the, the point of challenge, isn't it? Which is like the data's there, everything that you shared is completely backed up. Mm. And yet it's not what some people want. And no. so they're not thrilled about it. Um, and I think that's the challenge, isn't it? When you stick your head above the parapet, because whilst the world has changed a lot in the last 10 years, the status quo still rem- resides in the kind of standard American diet, the standard yeah. Western diet. And what, what you're doing, what we're doing, what we're talking about here is still on the fringes really of, of mass society. And so it still does cause tension and, and friction. Definitely. It does. And ruffled feathers. Um, yeah. And if it's interesting looking back on that time because I actually certainly learned a lot from that. And for me, that was probably one of my first small tastes of criticism and how to, how to deal with it and, and um, you know, what strategy to move forward, how to reflect, how to learn from it. Um, I imagine it, given the fact that you've got 2 million followers and a, a massive brand, you've had a lot more than just a small taste of that kind of thing. How have you learned to deal with it? And, you know, what have you learned from it? Gosh, so much. I think the the low point for me was at one point, a whole article, I think it was in The Spectator, about how I was just like Donald Trump. What? (laughs) Yeah, it was a huge piece. And, um, yeah, that was just one of those moments where I just thought, 
it's just gone a bit far at this mm-hmm. point. Interesting pieces like that are always written by women. And I, I do always think I have to acknowledge that because it, mm-hmm. those like much more personal scathing attacks are always from other women. The same journalist wrote a huge piece about how I was ruining pregnancy by promoting things like pregnancy yoga. And I was like, look, I'm just really uncomfortable waddling around here. I'm just trying to do what I can. But anyway, I think, look, I think for me, I realized that it, well, I guess it comes down to a few things. I think it's about doing the inner work, which for me is, I guess, as I said, things like the meditation practice so that you're comfortable in your own skin and you have that kind of stability from which to operate from. I can't put myself out there in the way that I do without that. It's, mm. it's too scary. You need some kind of sort of protection mechanism. I think that's the first point. I think, you know, and then, and then for me, the criticism has to go into two camps. It has to be personal criticism which I I've just got to the point where as I said that inner work means I just I just ignore it like I don't read it I don't engage with it it's not actually about what we do it's just a personal attack on me because they don't like me and that's fine that's that's not a problem I'm just going to let that go and then I think the other bit is is constructive criticism and constructive criticism can be really really helpful um you know you were talking a little bit fast there I'm, you know, actually French. And so, you know, I struggle to keep up with what you're saying. That's really helpful criticism. That That's that's good. Thank you. Um, and then I think there's just the criticism for criticism's sake. And that's the, I don't really like what you're saying. So I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. And I think what we were talking about a minute ago is a really good example of that, where the research is there and the data is there. And I know I see that a lot on Delicious Cielo of, you know, you talk about something, for example, from a climate perspective and people just don't want to hear it. And Mm. so the answer is basically no. And they're not equipped with the information nine times out of 10. If they are, then that for me falls into the constructive criticism camp, which is really helpful. Mm. But when it's just, I don't want to hear it, Again, for me, that's you just got to let it go. And I think I've realized, and I'm, I think this is why you do what you do. And you obviously have a much bigger um, view of it than, than I do in your work every day with patients. But, you know, we have just got to this point from both a health perspective for us as humans and also from a planetary perspective where I just don't feel like there's a huge choice other than to have these conversations. And and it's about how we do it in the most constructive, accessible, open way. And there's a lot of important factors that I think go, you know, it's not to pass the buck, but I think they go beyond me and I think they go beyond you. And they, they're socioeconomic factors that are really, you know, we need to talk about where the subsidies are going in government. You know, they are they are beyond us to, to such an extent and it's not to dissolve us of responsibility, but there's, there's only so much we can do, I think, as individuals and as corporations. And I think that that's when government's involved and and kind of global government. But, you know, look, we've just got to a point where we're just, you know, the NHS, you know, obviously, as you know, we we can't afford to be as we're spending on lifestyle related diseases. We cannot keep having rates of diabetes and obesity increase. We can't have 20% of year six children in the UK be obese. It's so sad. And we're, and these these are uncomfortable, crazy. uncomfortable yeah, conversations. That's so uncomfortable. And as I said, and it's not to remove the fact that there's socioeconomic, you know, complicated factors involved, but there's also just the food environment that we live in. And there's the fact that, you know, global climate change is happening now on such a rapid degree. It's petrifying. We can't keep killing 5 million fish a minute. Like, it's just nuts. It's so, it's so far beyond nuts. And, mm. and so I think I've just got to a point where I don't want to be quiet about it. 
I want to have conversations in the best possible way we are, you know, in the way we're having today where we can get into it in depth, but this isn't sustainable. It's not sustainable for our health, for our mental health, for our well-being, And it's not, and COVID has really highlighted that to be honest. And it's really not sustainable from a planetary perspective. So something has to change and it has to change fast and it has to happen now. And I just think that's what I come back to all the time is it's not about me. You know, yes, yes, of course, I'm putting myself out there and having these conversations, but whether you want to hear them or not has nothing to do with me. And I think that, you know, taking a personal hit along the way is worth it because I think these conversations, they're so, they so desperately have to happen and there's nowhere near enough people talking about it. And, you know, if I turn on Sky News one more time to hear about them talking about the environment without mentioning diet... (laughs) I are just going to lose it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like that a lot. Um. Yeah. You know, I just, I just feel like, yeah, we've just, we've just, we've just kind of gone past the point of being polite about it, I think. Um, Wow. I love hearing you get fired up. I love hearing you talk about it like this because, you know, you're right. It's, it's about making it accessible, but we have to do it and we have to do it now. Um, and I suppose that brings me on to my kind of trying to wrap things up a little bit. I know that you're so short of time. I'm just thinking about, to me, I feel like your mission is so strong. You probably haven't yet had your proudest moment. Your proudest moment is yet to come in in some senses. But I'd love to know what you feel you're most proud of so far in your journey with all of this. What do you feel most proud of? Oh, God, it's such a great question. I think... So honestly, so many things I never would have used to say that. I think part of it is honestly, as I said, I think it's just, it's got to be more available and, you know, seeing like our products sit alongside, you know, some of the least healthy foods in the world in terms of the planet and our own health, which are literally solely ultra processed food. They have no fiber, they have no vitamins, they have no nutrients, they have literally nothing. And seeing our products sit there like in a service station as a genuine option next to that, that's that's a really proud moment because I feel, you know, that we are so tiny compared to these giants that we're sitting next to, but we are sitting next to them. And that just that little step to the along the way of of at least giving options is that that means so much. And but honestly, from a kind of much more sort of day-to-day and I guess game-changing perspective for me is just hearing from people. It's knowing, you know, what what we do and, and the way that, that I live, it, it totally changed my life in, in, you know, no exaggeration. I am happier and kind of more well than I ever thought I could possibly be in my life. And if that can have a little impact on anybody else that that just means more than I can say. And so if you get an email from someone saying, you know, this really impacted me, I decided I would change X or Y, or I started doing this because of something you shared that just, you know, it kind of, it's so humbling and it's just extraordinary to have that kind of feedback. And it just gives you so much motivation to keep going and you know who cares what naysayers say like this is having a positive impact and that's all that really matters yeah I like hearing that it's true I think and it's also true to to own those proud moments and to really just notice them and help them to fuel your mission um I feel like that too sometimes I think oh 
I'm so proud that I'm sort of doing this thing and hopefully helping people and then getting that feedback as well is, is, is really lovely for propelling forward. Um, I suppose, I guess my last point here, um, you mentioned earlier that a piece of advice that you would give people is just to really focus on um, adding in one more thing, um, adding in something that will make you feel good, adding in a type of food that will help you um, nurture your health. Is there any other advice that you'd give our listeners moving forward and that you'd like to share as we as we head towards the end of this? Do you know what I think? I guess and it's not dissimilar to that, but make it work for you. You know, I'm out here sharing a lot of information. You're out there sharing a lot of information. There is so much information out there. And there are so many people sharing lots of very similar messages, but for, it, you know, kind of distilled through perhaps what's working for them, what they enjoy, what they like cooking or what they like doing or how they like exercising or, you know, their routines that work for them. And I just think it's about taking inspiration and ideas and resources, but then don't feel you have to emulate anyone else. You are you, your circumstances are you, and, you know, your your day is yours and you may have much more time you may have much less time you might have you might love this and you might hate that you know for me like something like a hit workout it really is so depleting it makes me feel physically sick my nervous system still isn't strong enough it just it literally couldn't work less well in my body if it tried my husband does them god they make him feel so good he feels so strong he feels so energized loves them and I just think it's just it's such a little example but I just think it's important to hold on to that like what works for you what do you like what do you like cooking what does it make what makes you feel really good so take ideas take inspiration take resources from everywhere but then make sure you're not trying to emulate someone else um make sure you're trying to make it feel achievable for you and if things aren't achievable today that's okay I mean I've been doing this as I said for almost 10 years now and my practices and, and how I eat and what I do, they've changed so much throughout that time. They've come in waves and there have been times where I'm more committed to one thing and less committed to another. And I think it's just about kind of riding with that rather than feeling like there's this tick list that just adds more stress to your life. Mm, I love that. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you. I will take That's that forward it. in my own day as well. <laughs> Oh, Ella, it's been an absolute joy. Um, I really always get so much from listening to you talk and um, I'm going to share a little bit more about how people can find out more about you. Um, I know that your app is something that you're very proud of. Um, Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that before you go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, that's exactly, I guess, what we've been talking about, about trying to make health more accessible and so it's, it's only 99p a month but it's got over 700 plant-based recipes on it it's got over 250 different yoga and exercise videos cardio strength bar pilates um stretching classes it's got guided meditations it's uh this week we're launching different breathwork classes on there um it's got a holistic tracker to help you just drink more water look at your sleep it's got loads of it's got all our podcast library it's got loads of articles and all these sorts of things so it's just really trying to basically be like a pocket every single day little kind of helping hand and guide to making all these different changes that little bit easier and that little bit more delicious fabulous thank you so much <laughs> pleasure thank you oh right we'll call it an end there thank you oh thank you so much Gemma it was so nice to see you and you 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Remember to join us again next week for the next episode of the Wellness Edit podcast, where we'll have another great guest sharing how you can incorporate wellness into your day. You can catch all the episodes of the Wellness Edit podcast on your favorite podcast platform, as well as on the Holland and Barrett website, hollandandbarrett.com. All views and experiences talked about on this podcast are those of our guests and do not reflect the views of Holland and Barrett.